0: So you're a huge fan of Atlanta United,
1: and you want Dave to give you the latest insights to our tactics.
0: Pineda five in the back? Are you kidding me? Or maybe you can't f and believe we signed Don Dwyer, and you want to hear Mikey Dobbs rant about it.
1: Well, you've come to the right place.
0: I'm David Katz, and I'm Mike Dobbs, and this is, is the, the ATL on, on Fire podcast. podcast.
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire, the podcast where we talk all things Atlanta United. Dave, Carmen, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Excellent. Well, we have an awesome guest this evening who is uh, kind enough to share some time with uh, the listeners, and it is uh, Greg Garza from Atlanta United. Um, a quick bio on on Greg. Uh, Greg's uh, professional career, I think, may have began begun in, in Portugal, but played um in Tijuana uh from 2012 to 2017 before joining our Atlanta United club here uh where in 2017 his first year he was an MLS All-Star and in 2018 as many of us know brought us an MLS Cup champion yes trophy and Thank uh, you Greg. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> the city needed that very much and after that he moved on to Cincinnati where he's since retired uh greg also has several senior caps for the u.s men's national team which is definitely timely given all the world cup we'd love to talk to greg a little bit about his uh his viewing on the world cup but greg thank you so much for for spending some time with us yeah welcome to the podcast
2: thank you thank you for having me it's an absolute pleasure
1: so um greg have you been watching much of the world cup and um if, if so what uh, what's been exciting you on that front
2: have yeah i've tried to move all my mentoring sessions uh with what i do now uh during uh, off world cup hours so it's <laughs> actually really funny one of the kids i was uh, supposed to mentor i believe yesterday asked me hey can we can we move our session because mm. i have to watch this game i said yeah that's perfectly fine with me." Um, you want to tell know, us I, a
0: little bit about your program
2: yeah for sure for sure we can start off with that uh you know obviously i think after retiring um you know michael michael parkhurst and i who was the captain at atlanta united um you know we we really talked a lot about it as we as we were players and um you know i think we we thought throughout our careers we, we saw so many players whether they were rookies coming up this, through the system uh, whether they were kids that we thought about when we were young and we thought man whatever happened to that one kid um that you know was really talented never, nothing ever came of him and now, there's so many players that you can think about off the top of your head whether you played youth sports and you have so many of those kids that, that were like that And it wasn't necessarily um the god-given talent that they had at their feet it was it was all the other vital and key components uh, to create that success for them and whether it was the support that they needed or whether it was the way they carried themselves the decision making that they made um, all different things that were off the field related right and to mm kind of helping us, Uh, you know, I always tell people that I was never the best player on any team that I played for as a pro, but I was a great pro and I was a great person and I knew uh, how to hold myself responsible. I knew how to hold myself accountable for certain things. And, um, you know, I think that that went a long way. So uh, Michael Parkhurst and I created a program to help kids understand the value of the mental aspect of, of how important it can be in creating success, whether it be on the soccer field or in whatever those kids tried to, to do in life. So I think we thought, man, we wanted to create a program that, that nipped the bud as quickly as possible for these young kids to help them uh, understand those values within uh, not only soccer itself, if that's something that they choose to do for the rest of their lives or whatever it is they choose to do in creating success.
0: So you want to tell us the name of the program and how people can find you?
2: Yeah, it is uh, called beyond goals mentoring. They can find us at beyond goals, and, uh, you know, whatever the uh, social media are related to that as well. So uh, Beyond Goals Mentoring, BG Mentoring, uh, BGM Mentoring for Twitter. And, um, yeah, we, we, we love the support. We love what we do. We love giving back to a game that gave so much to us um, and, and find it a, a really important factor into uh, the next development of, the, of the, the, the next generation of players that we have coming through the system.
3: And I have to say, both Michael Parkhurst and Greg were at the uh, Soccer in the Streets Gala, which is actually yep. where I uh, attacked <laughs> Greg <laughs> afterwards to convince him to come on the podcast. But, um, you know, they're giving back to the community in a lot of different ways. So we really appreciate that. Um, I did have a question. So I had a, like a 15-year-old who's pretty serious about soccer. And for Christmas, they never know what they want. So I was asking him, you know, I might get him like, a trainer or something like that to help him out. And I was like, this might be a good thing to get him for some mentoring. Um, what type of kid? Is it like for any sort of kid? Do they need to be serious about soccer? Do they even need to be soccer players? or
2: uh, Any sort of kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for us, helping them understand uh, the mentality part of not only soccer, but life itself, I think is extremely important in kind of developing these uh, next generation leaders of tomorrow, right? I, mean, I think that's, that's the most important thing that we can provide is, uh, you know, share our own unique and individual experiences and wisdom and knowledge that we gain uh, throughout our successful and, and longevity of careers, um, but at the same time kind of help them understand that certain strategies, certain exercises that we use on the mental side of things um, helped us within whatever moment that we were going through, whether it was uh, dealing or coping with pressure, whether it was dealing with adverse situations, in my case, injuries or setbacks, right? Uh, but these are all things that relate to, to things not only with on, on the field, but also uh, off the field as well. So, um, yeah, it is any type of kid, whether it's a kid that's playing JV and wants to make varsity or whether it's a kid that's extremely serious and, and has opportunity to, to, to make it really far. It's uh, it's 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 a wide spectrum of, of, of kids.
0: Can you provide it to our current national team players? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think if
2: you're playing for the national team, that's something that you already have to have. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if not, you wouldn't you wouldn't be there, right? Uh, it's really funny. We we always use the example. I use the example of uh, you know there's there's a, there's a club player mentality, and then there's a national team player mentality, and um, they are very 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 different in understanding what type of player. Um, Is scouted into that national team uh, player pool. So um, it takes a unique and special type of character and person to be a national team player. And um, you know, I think that 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 you know, we had a lot of those guys uh, at the World Cup. It just unfortunately it didn't uh, unfold the way that we wanted it to.
1: Yeah, and and on that front, uh, Greg, what was what was your um, view on how the U.S. men's team did during the World Cup? We obviously made it out of the the ra- the group round, which was fantastic um did not do as well against the netherlands as we would have, have liked and um you know certainly those last two goals um curious even what your thoughts are you know the the left back in particular position <laughs> was kind of left uh, ball watching a little bit there unfortunately but um you know curious how, how you thought the the team performed and, and maybe some some uh, viewpoints you have
2: yeah yeah you know honestly uh in my personal opinion i think we exceeded expectations um, you know, I think a lot of us probably imagined that it was going to be really tough to get out of that group. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think even after Iran losing, uh, really badly to England, you know, there was still a team that was going to be very difficult to, to beat or even, you know, get a result in, um, and, and Wales kind of, you know, the, 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 the dark horse of getting into the world cup and, you know, never, not really knowing. And I think with, with the U S being where they were, they hadn't really played against a, a top tier team within the past two to three years. Uh, We haven't been really put to the challenge of playing against um, a really top tier world-class team. And I think, um, you know, this was their first challenge. This was their first experience experience and kind of taste of of what world-class, you know, type soccer can be besides playing Mexico every few months. (laughs) Um, You know, I think, from, from an understanding of all of those kids being put into that new environment. Um, and, and I say kids because they're still kids, right? Um, we don't really have a very experienced player besides Tim Ream, who was on that team right. uh, that had played, um, you know, and all these guys might be playing at such a very high internet or nat or wherever they might be playing club level, but international is, is different. And I think, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, we exceeded expectations to prepare ourselves to get a little bit little taste of what next World Cup is supposed to be um, for ourselves. And I, I can say the same thing for Canada, I think Canada, uh, you know, had the same taste of bittersweet taste of getting there uh, of exceeding expectations of getting there. But now understanding, okay, what are these next four years need to look like um, to, to be successful the next go around.
0: So there's been a lot of criticism, you know, of Jedi Robinson and maybe Sergio Dest in the Dutch game, you know, with the, the outside back and the, the, the player running in behind him. Can you talk a little bit about what you did or what defenders need to do if their kids coming through, you know, to basically learn how to pick up that run? Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, for sure. You always you always want to be one of the most important controllable factors that we always talk about is, is awareness, right? Understanding your own surroundings and understanding the surroundings of others—it's um, a difficult situation, right? Because uh, Jedi does have, have a player that he's he's taking care of in that particular moment, and it takes a less than a split second to lose the mark that's behind him. Um, in that situation, you kind of want to tell yourself, "Well." Could have there been a way that he could have passed that player on to Walker Zimmerman or whoever was in that center back position at that time and to focus on what was behind him. But we're not there, right? We only see it from the outside perspective and we don't really understand how quickly those decision-making processes can change the outcome of a game. Um, Has that happened to me before in the past? Of course, right? Um, There have probably been moments where I had been lucky to where that guy didn't score and probably been unlucky in moments to where... Uh, he, he did score, and so you know that blame and that, that, that kind of pointing the finger can't be there. At the end of the day, it's right. a team, it's a team environment that you're playing in. It's a team result that you have, and one guy's mistake doesn't doesn't uh, you know really prove that, that that ultimate success or that ultimate you know failure of what you guy, what they go through. So um, it's it's a it's a moment for him to turn the page as quickly as possible and to learn from and kind of use that experience to hopefully not let it happen again. But you know it's it's not one mistake that loses the game.
0: Is there any way that you can recommend, you know, the young, you know, fullbacks of the world who are coming through or maybe the people you're mentoring, you know, how you can practice that, how you can be more aware?
2: Even, even, I mean, it's the simplest of answers of, you know, the the biggest piece of being aware is checking your shoulders, uh, head always on a swivel, um, knowing (laughs) your surroundings, you know, your shoulders being turned, even though uh, the ball is on the other side, your shoulders being turned. Uh, completely opposite, because your head and your, your neck can always turn so far, yep. and you have to have those shoulders pointing in a way to where you can always see what's on the opposite side of you. So um, when you are recovering, if you're in an outside back position, when you recover, your shoulders still have to be facing away to where you can see what's behind you as well. And unfortunately, that was something that didn't happen in that play, and uh, we paid the ultimate price.
1: So um, what was your uh, thoughts on the Mexico performance and, and Tata from that perspective?
2: It's a difficult one, right? Because you see a Mexico that has a lot of new faces. Uh, you see a Mexico that doesn't have, uh, besides Andres Guardado, who didn't play as much. Um, but, you know, besides that, you have all very new new blood and new right. talent that are coming through the ranks, right? Um, I mean, I'd give you guys a quiz, and if you can name more than six players on that team, I'd give you guys <laughs> Right. Uh, but, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, and back in the day when you talked about Mexico, you can name all 11 of those players. Right. Yeah. Right? It
1: seems like Tata's, uh, you know, that, that golden generation had kind of deteriorated before the World Cup had had started. Definitely uh, and, an unfortunate hand he was dealt really when it when it came to.
2: And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for him from a coaching perspective. But I think I think they still had a lot of, you know, new blood, and new talent on that team that could have done something. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it was more of a moment to where those young players can now look at another trajectory for them to build on within the next four years and kind of focus on things that they need to, to learn on. Um, and also, they were in a, a look at the group that they were dealt. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's not an easy group to be in and, and and you know it's it was very difficult from the get-go
0: yeah and it was made all worse by the fact that argentina dropped their first match so <laughs> they were a little bit angry right and um, that's not never a good thing to yeah. be playing an angry argentina side yeah. needing a needing three points right
1: so do we want to pivot to uh, atlanta united and
0: um do you have any other things you, you've noticed during the world cup what are your impressions of the tournament overall
2: uh, I'll ask, I'll turn it to you guys. Who do you think's uh, who do you think's winning the whole thing?
0: Well, we actually, you know, <laughs> we thought even before the tournament started, we thought Brazil and, um, it looked to me, you know, I mean, they really should have gone through in that match. And actually at the very end, you know, it was very chaotic in that game. They seemed a little bit naive. I was really surprised that in that last counterattack that they gave up, they had only like three guys in the back needing to, you know, kill off the game in overtime. So, um, it was a little bit crazy how they went out.
2: If you watch that particular play, uh, Fred is the last sub that comes in. Right. Uh, he is a defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. And in that last play, he was, he is above Neymar pressing. Right. Okay. Um, and, and that to me just shows, you know, what in the world were they thinking yeah. on the tactical side? You have, you know, five minutes left within the game. Um, and that, that, that sub was a tactical sub. Right. To be defensive. Right. right. If not, you really keep your foot on the pedal, then throw somebody in there, you know, a, uh, a Martinelli or someone who is, will do that pressing for you but for your defensive midfielder to be above your front line um, was absolutely ridiculous so I think it's the player's fault that they're out right it's not necessarily the coach's fault and TT will you know will will take, take the backstab in, in whatever ways he needs to but um the players lost that game unfortunately
0: that's funny Um, I texted them the same thing I said what in the world was Fred (laughs) doing on that play you know I mean I love the fact that our you know Brazil when you're trying to kill off a game I feel like a lot of people just run it into the corner and they were trying to maintain possession in the attacking end which I thought was really good Fred was on the ball he tried to kind of go forward but to be that far up the field as the defensive midfielder killing off the game I agree with you it was a little bit too
2: adventurous yeah, kick it in the corner and just go from there, right? Yeah. You have to know that if you're playing for Manchester United and you've played at the highest level and want to cope America, you should know better. That, that maliciousness has to be within your game, right? That's something that I wish I could teach the, ta- the the young talent within the States is having that maliciousness of to to kill off games, right? And the best way possible because those South American countries, they usually understand it, but Brazil did not understand it within that uh, within that particular moment. But uh, I'm kind of rooting for Morocco, man. I love – they remind me of – They remind me, without the talent, but they remind me of the 2002 Brazil World Cup championship team. If those guys were on a counterattack and you saw Rivaldo, Ronaldo, uh, Cafu, Roberto Carlos, all these guys running up the field, man, and just like not knowing what's coming at you, those guys have the absolute speed of getting from one transition to the next of defense to attack. So uh, they are an absolute... Pleasure to watch. If they can get past Mbappe and crew, yeah. I think uh, I think they might be able to do something. But I mean, those guys have to be extremely proud of how far they've already gotten. Yeah,
0: it's the furthest an African team has ever gotten, right? So um, yeah. Yeah. that's already A- amazing.
1: Absolutely awesome to watch. Yeah, and I think you know these semifinal games are going to be fantastic. You got to say, you know, Argentina and France are probably the favorites, and and France certainly might be the front runner at this point. But I would love to see Messi. Bring uh, a World Cup back to Argentina and and have that um, part of his history, Um, but but yeah, Croatia as well. Kind of like Morocco is just you know, Luka Modric has been (laughs) absolutely amazing for what he's like thirty seven years old and playing like a teenager. (laughs) it's, It's incredible.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, I still can't believe Brazil's out just losing to a country that only has four million people. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's unbelievable to think. So I, I I. don't even know what the population of some states are, and I'm sure it probably exceeds four million. So um, easily here in the States. So it's pretty crazy to think that a country with only four million people can uh, can be in the in, in semifinal and, and maybe in the final two World Cups in a row. Yes. Yeah, you're
0: talking about maybe, you know, the greater metropolitan Atlanta area, right? It's right. almost that big, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, yeah. So. It's amazing. It makes the World Cup just beautiful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs>
1: So do you want to pivot to Atlanta United, Dave, and talk yeah, a bit about that? Yeah, so,
0: you know, we were curious, I and mean, we've talked a lot this season at Atlanta United about um, outside fullback play, so we wanted to ask you a little bit, and we wanted to start by saying, you know, when you were playing with Atlanta United in the championship season under Tata, you know, we obviously sent our outside backs forward quite a bit, and I wanted maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the philosophy, you know. What, what was your goal in doing that? What, um, and what was the expectations
2: for sure? Yeah. I think, you know, Tata comes from a background of, you know, he's from the Bielsa program is what they call it. Right. Right. Um, and, and Bielsa is the one that's kind of really written that program and Tata comes behind it. Um, and, and, you know, it's, 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 there's, there's, there's so many different coaches within the realm of so many coaches that I've played for that come from, Coaches who have kind of written those philosophies and other coaches kind of banking off of it. Um, and, and and so, you know, Bielsa's program and philosophy and, and kind of the methodology of how he thinks is he really uses it's called a lunatic mentality. Um, and, and I actually use it with my mentees all the time. Um, and the lunatic mentality is to how you can create the other team to think that you are absolutely crazy. Um, and the way that you attack and the way that you defend and the way that you play the game in every single game. How can you think of the other team thinking, why is this team bringing up both fullbacks? When most teams, even when playing in a five, uh, you know, in a five backs, one fullback goes, the other one always stays and covers. Um, if you think about the very first game at Bobby Dodd, right? Uh, right. You know, time gives gives the cross, you know, right above the 18. And I'm the one that's creating the, the you know, the play for Yamil to be on the back post um and i'm right there you know pivoting you know sal zizzo to take me uh in in the box and and it it frees up yamil assad Uh, that was the very first goal i don't know if you guys remember that oh yeah Yeah, we were there (laughs) (laughs) but but, i mean just uh, from the tactical point of view right i was in the box while Ty was giving cross, um and, and that just gives you that you know i think that gives you that ultimate definition of what the philosophy was from day one and it was why, why, why are both pullbacks and why are both, you know, wing backs in the box at the, you know, or, you know, not necessarily in the box, but why is one crossing and the other one is in the box to also make a play um, where you don't see that very often. Um, and I think that was just an understanding of within attacking sense, you know, uh, to understand, you know, that you can be very effective and, and kind of dangerous and be a little bit crazy to do so. And at the same time, uh, on the defensive side of the lunatic mentality, of, you know, pressing, pressing the crap out of both, both fullbacks on both sides of the ball, right? Um, So it was a moment to where uh, I was pressing the right back as I was the left back and I was pressing the right back where our, you know, uh, left midfielder was pressing the center back. And it was kind of giving this mentality to where, what in the world are these guys doing as, you know, their left back, their left wing back is pressing our right back and their right wing back is pressing our left back all at the same time. And, you know, most coaches will look at that and say, man, Uh, what are the, what are these guys doing? Right. But for us, it was okay. Well, if we can win the ball, uh, you know, higher up the field, if they're willing to play out of the back, that gives us a better chance and a better, you know, percentage rate of scoring. So, um, you know, I think Tata was able to instill that mentality within each and every one of us and and, and make us believe, right. You need that as a head coach to, to help, you know, to have your players believe in that philosophy and that methodology. And I think it comes from the Bielsa uh, ways of, of of philosophy of playing. And um, that's, that's, that's what we did right that's that's what we did we believed in it we had faith in it and we we stood behind tata and tata means grandpa in spanish so uh, amount <laughs> of respect for, for tata and that's what he was he was like a grandfather to all of us you know he was more than a dad to all of us in that in that moment so uh you know you you, you have a certain amount of respect for your dad and you probably have a double amount of respect for your grandparents right yeah, um, or, <laughs> yeah. And how we thought of it, we, we believed in his philosophy, we believed in his methodology, and we were able to execute it in a way that uh, was, was pretty special to watch. Um, and, and, you know, I think that was kind of the, the, the realm of our success within those couple of years that we got to play under.
0: So under, under Tata, it seemed like it was slightly more dynamic than it is now. So under Pineda, they have a very similar philosophy. The outside backs, Lennon and Gutman are getting forward. But they seem to get there really early and be standing in a line with the front line. So when you guys were playing, it seemed to be like you were arriving a little bit more, you know, it was a little bit more dynamic. So was there an instruction about how far you were supposed to go and what the timing was?
2: I mean, not necessarily. I think you know it's 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 really hard to pick out players, right? It's really hard to compare. Now I can do so because I don't play anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, but at that time, you had Carlos Carmona, who was one of the best sixes I've ever played with, and then you had Eric Rametti, who came in and did an absolute fantastic job. And it's no offense to who they have right now, but I'm not able to compare those guys to Carlos Carmona and Eric Rametti. Um, you know, I, obviously those guys are on the team because they deserve to be on the team, but. I'm not able to compare those guys to those guys because those guys knew and understood that, yeah, there's going to be balls that are played over. But uh, unfortunately, those or maybe fortunate enough more for us. Uh, we had two guys that, you know, ultimately played that position that were able to break down plays at specific moments and knew their role the best way possible. They knew how to, you know, bank off of that philosophy of that, that lunatic mentality and allow us fullbacks to get forward and say, don't worry, guys, I got it. If it gets over you guys and you guys get there too early, whatever it may be, Will be there to break up that play, um, and and maybe that's a maybe that's something. If you look at the team now, that that's something that they unfortunately don't have, right? Yeah, because um, we and,
0: seem to get yeah, counterattacked into that space a lot when we ball turns over. Our outside backs are further up the field, and I don't remember under Tata them being you know getting into that spaces behind us as much as what as uh, as what's going on now.
2: It's probably because you just you you you. you I mean, you just have to have a recollection of someone that being in that position where Britt was breaking up that play every single time, and yeah. those two guys that I just named right yeah. now were, were were key factors for those positions and and understanding their roles, and 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 they did it so well.
0: Um, the other aspect of of defending on the outside that we talk about a lot is so the um the outside back on the weak side tends to be you know, coming in a lot, right? and and it seems to me you know when we were all growing up playing, and maybe you know this was true for you too, you know the 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 coaches were all like, make sure your your the outside backs are tucked in because that's the danger area. Leave them out wide or whatever. But in the modern game of football, the crossing is so dangerous, and it seems like there's now maybe more of a need to stay at home and, and to, to make sure that you can still get out to that outside back. So under Tata, you know, was there a philosophy of whether you were supposed to be inside helping or whether you would stay at home to, to, to block the crosses?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good question. You know, I think Tata always used the philosophy of being 50-50 with wherever you were on the field, right? Um, being 50-50 was allowing yourself to make a decision whether to commit or to stay home, like you said. Um, and as that ball was played, you, 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 that, was, that was your, your decision-maker right now, right there. That was your cue of understanding, okay, um, I'm putting myself in a position right now to where uh, it's 50% I'm in between this guy and 50% where I'm, where I'm able to protect my goal. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that, you know, uh, what I learned under him, obviously uh, other coaches are different, right? Other coaches want you to stay home where other coaches want you to commit. Um, that, was, that was our rule when, when I was there. Um, and we did that in a, a very particular way that allowed us to kind of understand our positioning and, and allowed us to be successful and protect each other, right? I'm um, at the end of the day, that's what it did, right? We necessarily weren't, weren't marking anyone. We were trying to mark, uh, you know, we we're trying to mark everyone, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So it was kind of putting ourselves in a position to where we were able to do that and and able to kind of make those decisions and and if I was 50-50 I knew the LGP was going to be 50-50 between my guy and the guy and his guy right so mm-hmm. it allowed him to you know kind of put different responsibilities within our game but to give us that freedom of making certain decisions and it was like a, a, a you know a, a ripple effect right if I made a certain decision the next guy behind me would would make that same exact decision so mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes it takes a quality a quality team to kind of follow and and based off of each other and those relationships that are created all over the field. So, um, you know, I think that quality is there of what we have right now, but maybe those relationships are still needing to be built. And obviously, um, the coaching style of helping everybody be on the same page um, has to be there as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like Tata had a lot of trust in you, and you had a few more veteran guys who make that decision. Maybe our team currently is a little younger, and I feel like the maybe the the players themselves are taking the coaches too much. You know, they're they're not making that decision as much. They're maybe they're not having as much confidence to go and make that play, um, and so they're, they're staying. You know, tucked in when maybe they could go out and, and make a play, but. Um, it sounds like Tata gave you a lot of um, freedom to make decisions, right? And there must have been a lot of confidence that came from that.
2: I think you know once again, that just goes from from the amount of respect that we had for him, right? I think i was I was very fortunate enough to in my career to have outstanding coaches. Um, I mean, there's so many things that I learned from every single coach that I had. Um, and I had some pretty darn good coaches within my whole entire career, guys that have had so much success within their careers um, and have, and have coached players, you know, out of this world. Right. Um and those are the, those are the coolest things to, to remember and those are the coolest things to learn from. Right. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, having that respect for Tata and him having that trust within us was, was, was very unique and very special. Um, I think, you know, I always tell people after the Bobby Dodd game, we all looked around in that locker room. And even though um, crap hit the fan with with everybody's (laughs) mentality and emotions and, you know, the South American mentality of every, it's always the end of the world whenever you lose the game. Um, But I think all of us, you know, maybe more veteran guys within that, within that particular moment and situation, we all looked around and we said, we have a
0: hell of a team. Yeah, yeah, that's what we felt. We walked away from that game, and we were, like, shocked as heck. You know, we had been, you know, talking to each other about what's Atlanta and I going to be like, and we walked out of that game saying, wow, our team is a lot better than we yeah. thought it was going to uh, be. It
1: was the first <laughs> – Almiron's first touch in the ball. I looked at Dave. I said, who is that guy? Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> who is that guy? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I probably said the exact same thing after I saw the first touch of that game of his as well. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we had no idea who these guys were, right? And we had no idea who yeah. each other was. I knew absolutely no one on the team. So, um, you know, I think for us of, of, of kind of really understanding that process of, you know, believing in how special of a team we were. And, um, you know, it's a lot of luck, right? It's a lot of luck of getting that kind of relationships to kind of bind together and create such success. and. Um, you know, you root for that within Atlanta United of what it is today, but um, that, that's why that team was a championship team, right? And that's why certain teams are championship teams, right? Because yeah. everything just seems to click, not only from the coaches, but also from, from the team environment, from from the relationships and the bonds that are created, uh, the camaraderie that's there, and, and, and we just had it. You know, it's, it's not only – I look back at that team and I think, man, that, that team was so special because, you know, it created such a great ripple effect not only within – you know, the locker room, but within the community, right? Every one of those guys played such a huge role within what Atlanta is as, as a community as well. And kind of started this, you know, this, this train ride of everybody being on, on, on the same, uh, you know, on the same page. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's not, not, you know, you have to give so much credit to the fan base, right. Because of of how much, you know, uh, they, 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 committed and, and supported us through those moments, but I think it's just so much of a connection of how everything kind of meshed together and created that success of what made made the team and also that that generation so special.
0: Do you know who was responsible for scouting and and picking you as a player to come to Atlanta? like how uh, did was that come about?
2: To Atlanta I was supposed to go to uh Philadelphia so, yeah, <gasps> to go to <laughs> Union. yeah. Oh, Jim Curtin, <laughs> um, huh. yep yep they traveled down and talked to me while i was in tijuana and obviously you know this uh coming to atlanta was a revival of my career right yeah Um, i had my biggest surgery uh as a pro and it was probably my lowest low i mean it was the peak of my career i was starting with the national team i was playing every game with the national team playing every game in mexico i just signed my biggest contract uh, with atlas from tijuana Um, and then i had a hip surgery uh, on both sides hip reconstruction on both sides and was out of the game for about a year and three months, maybe uh, had to learn how to walk again in a, on a treadmill in a pool, um, had to had to do everything, right? I didn't know I was going to be able to play soccer again um, and, and ultimately had the chance to, to kind of revive my career after getting back healthy. And uh, that was the decision I made, right? Uh, Mexico had put in a clause at that moment that we could only have, uh, you know, 12, 12 foreigners on a roster. You could have 12 foreigners and six uh, players born within Mexico on a roster. And in, in Tijuana, we had about 16 foreigners, right? So uh, we actually had uh, Piojo Herrera, who was our coach when I came back from injury. Um, and and I was, you know, the 16th foreigner at that time. I, I had a Mexican passport, but I got my Mexican passport after the age of 18, which which considered me as a, as a foreigner. So um, once that rule came into effect, you're not going to put a guy that has been off the field for a year and a half uh you know as a starting position and and, and probably not on the roster so i kind of had to look for something new and had the opportunity to come to atlanta and that's how it that's how it happened so whether it was a favor or whether whatever had happened whoever had scouted <laughs> me before who knows but uh it ultimately worked out to the best uh the best way possible
1: so greg you um uh you played in Liga MX for five years and then in the mls for roughly four right and just curious what your opinion is on how the two leagues now are matching up and how much progression has happened in the MLS um, since you started playing professional soccer, what the perception might be from from Mexico, but also just like your thoughts in general on the the quality of MLS and where it's come from.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think every player is going to tell you differently, right? Mm -hmm. If If you're playing in Mexico, you're going to say the Mexican league is better. If you're playing in the United States, you're going to say that the MLS is better. Um, Yeah, that's everybody's going to ride on that political train, I think. But, um, you know, I think in in my personal opinion, they are very, very, very close to being equal. Um, I think throughout the years, I think when I played in Mexico, um, I think Mexico still, Mexican team still had the edge. Um, And and I think when I came to the MLS, um, you started to realize that the growth and the, the types of players the Miguel Marones that you bring, the Joseph Martinez that you bring, the Lucho Acostas that you bring, um, you know, the Zellerion that comes from Mexico to, to the Columbus crew. And you start to bring these types of player, the types of player that, that, that can change a game within the matter of seconds, right? Um, and, and to where the MLS used to not have that. And I think Atlanta has been kind of a catapult and, and kind of a, a reference to all these other teams bringing young talent that can change a game within the matter of seconds. And, um, you know, I think nowadays you have so many teams within the league that have those types of players. And and, and that's the you know, that's the force that I think Mexico had for a really long time. And I think the MLS has finally figured it out that it's not about bringing these guys to retire within the league. It's about bringing guys that can change the game within a matter of seconds. And, um, you know, I think that's that's been kind of the uh, reference that you can look back to and realize that there, there really is no comparison. The competitiveness is finally there. Yeah. Uh, you look at it within, and I always use the re- reference in the example of CONCACAF champions, right? Um, it's where these teams, these top tier level teams get to battle out and face each other. Um, and and Seattle did that this year and they right. get to play in the club World Cup championship. Which right. MLS team has never had the opportunity to do so. Right. Um, so I think that'll be extremely special for them to do. Um, and, and to be on that level and that stage of where no one has ever gotten to do so is it really puts us on the map as a league and um, you know I think makes others realize that, that we're here to contend for, for great things in the future.
0: Are you familiar with the Leagues Cup that's coming next summer?
2: I'm not. I have so- to study you now and understand what ecnl
0: ml
2: (laughs) that's dave's that's dave's uh, world that's impossible to
3: keep up with
0: (laughs) so apparently this is flying very under the radar but liga mx and the mls teams are all going to stop competition in the middle of next summer and for one month are going to play a world cup style tournament with every mls team and every liga mx team
2: but that sounds to me (laughs) that sounds to me like somebody's about to make a lot of money. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, and, I agree.
1: I mean, how was that not going to be entertaining, though? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I after he, Dave told me about this and I looked it up and it's real, I was like, this is pretty cool.
2: <laughs> I mean, when when we were kid, when I was a kid, you know, the, the coolest games, I would go watch the Dallas Byrne play in the Cotton Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't pay attention, to be honest. Um, but I got to watch Oscar Perea play and all those yeah. guys. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's the, the, mo- the coolest games that I went to when I was a kid was you know Chivas versus America uh, at the Cotton Bowl and yeah. it was mm-hmm. filled with close to 100,000 people right, right? um and, and no Dallas Burn was close to that right or yeah. the Pumas came to play in Dallas right Pumas were playing I don't know some team some exhibition match or whatever and the, the stadium would be absolutely jam packed so you have that Mexican heritage within the United yeah. States it's always you there right uh, I I played against Mexico, the the you know USA Mexico game the Alamo Dome, and it had 100,000 people in it, right? Um, and I can guarantee you that whole entire stadium was green, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a yeah. Houstonian, <laughs> right? So right. Uh, you know it's it's it, I think it'll be awesome to see and kind of play with that atmosphere, um, because that's what it's all about, right? That that competitiveness, that rivalry, will always be there. It's it's never it's never a soccer game in those games. It's more than a game. It's a war. It's a battle, um, and that's that's what the beauty of the game is all about.
0: So could you comment, you know, so in Liga MX there is the, you know, playoff structure um, and in MLS there's a playoff. In Europe there's no playoff. It's just, you know, league title. Could you comment about, you know, what you prefer or does, you know, MLS have to eventually adopt, you know, something that's more European or what, what do you feel about the differences?
2: Yeah. It it never will adopt. Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. uh, Once again, we, we talk about, being a, a big money maker and a big way to kind of keep people engaged and involved. Um, you know, I think it's, I, 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 either way it's still a fun thing to be a part of. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it gives you it gives you a, gives you a chance to, to play a different type of tournament whenever it is playoff time and yeah. you use the American mentality of, of, you know, whether it's football or hockey or baseball, or basketball—that's that's what we've only known as, as Americans, right? So, um, you know, it kind of gives that that way of, of 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 structure. But you know, at the same time, I think it's 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 cool to be a part of something that you you work extremely hard over the course of a year uh, to be successful in. And, and you know, I think that that's kind of given that structure of what the European and other base uh, other base soccer leagues uh, also have. So I, I think it it makes it fun either way.
1: So, Greg, how do you think uh, Atlanta United is shaping up for this this new season? We're probably going to have a lot of moves here that are that are announced, but um, you know, what do you think the team needs? Uh, what do you think the team is going to look like?
2: You know, I, it's such a hard question because you have a new president that comes in that I think will be probably more soccer engaged and soccer involved than the other president that we had. Um, you know, I think I think Darren was a great president, but I think you know he was. He was a guy that was great, you know, uh, he's, he's a businessman, right? right. Um, you know, I think he did really well for the business to help people understand the value of what Atlanta United is and kind of, you know, created uh, a, a club that connected not only with the community, but with the whole entire state of Georgia. Um, and so I think, you know, now you have a president that's going to come in and ha- knows this league inside and out, um, all the loopholes, all the, you know, successful ways to create a successful team. And he's done that with two other organizations as a GM and also as a president. So uh, you have a guy that's coming in with um, loads of experience and loads of wisdom, loads of knowledge uh, that, that that knows, like I said, all the ins and outs, the rights and wrongs, the do's, the don'ts, um, and, and kind of understanding how to create a successful organization, but more importantly, a, success, a successful team on the field. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what moves are made. I, I don't know, you know. It's it's really hard because you have probably a lot of guys that are that are binded within a contract and you kind of if you want to make moves for them, you got to find other other places that are willing to do so. And, um, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a, a difficult task, I think, at hand. And do you look at it as a few years of building up to success or do you look at it as being a very quick turnaround within the first year? And, um, you know, I think that's something that Arthur and, and those guys had understood from within our realm and within our experience and our our you know, generation is that they wanted success from the very get go. And so I think finally, we we might be out of that out of that cycle. And now Hmm. uh, trying to build something that can be successful over the next course of of the next few years, right. Um, And then that's something that you look at Cincinnati, right? I was in that uh, first generation of Cincinnati to where it had nothing to do with being successful on the field from the very get go as being a pawn on a chessboard. Um, you know, uh, uh, of for the very first couple of years and trying to get the organization going to then lead to success over the next few course of the year. So, um, you know, that those are cycles of what you go through within an organization and within a club. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of things, a lot of changes will be made um, within the next couple of, of, of months to try and figure out what's best.
0: So Atlanta United has had this philosophy of buying young South American talent and, you know, the idea is to develop them and and maybe make a profit by shipping them onto to Europe. Al Marone was incredibly successful. P.T. Martinez, maybe a little bit less so. Our current project is Tiago Almada. I mean, I guess as a, as a player who, you know, was a part of the more composition of the team, how, how does that fit? How do you see that? How does it, does that constantly bringing in and out of player? Does it disrupt the team or is it pushing the team? Cause you have an exciting new player. How do y'all feel about that?
2: Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we all know Tiago is going to be sold right after this uh, world cup. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just being at the world cup and even though you're sitting on the bench and you play, two minutes right. he played game. like 20 minutes and
1: he played pretty <laughs> solid <Yeah. laughs>
2: your, your va- it doesn't matter even if you don't play yeah is what i'm getting through. it yeah. doesn't matter you're there at the world cup your value has gone up millions right yeah um and, and that's what i meant by that but you know i think uh, it's i think it's the inevitable right it's 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 kind of the the course of what we've seen throughout the past couple of years and they've done a great job of doing so um i always say a great mls team is based of two or three guys that can change the, 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 the outcome of a game within seconds of what I've spoke about uh, a little while ago. And the rest of the guys need to be guys that know their role. Um, they need to be guys that know their role. That we call them the industrial players, right? Uh, the guys that can really come in and know exactly what they need to do to help those three guys change the outcome of a game that easily. Um, and th- that's the successful team that you're talking about. And so if you can always bring in guys that can change the outcome of a game and rely on those guys, but also know what you're getting out of the other guys to be those industrial players, then you'll be very close to, 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 you know, hopefully getting a very successful team. And I, I think Atlanta United is still almost, you know, they're super close into doing so they're bringing in uh, types of players that I think can change the outcome of a game. I think within this last season, we, we didn't have that, right. We didn't have, you you looked at Tiago and maybe Tiago was the only guy that could change uh, the outcome of a game within a matter of seconds of chopping up one guy and hitting upper 90 within the next player. Um, and within 2017 with 2018, you had that all the time, right? Uh, there were so many times to just give the ball to Miggy and have him make an amazing pass to Joseph and Joseph will, will, will change the game. So, um, I think if they can find that kind of, uh, you know, outcome within the next couple of months of what they decide to do, they, they have a really good chance of, of creating some success within this next season.
1: Awesome. Well, Greg, we want to be respectful of your time. We know you've got some mentoring to do here. And um, just want to say thank you so much again for joining our podcast and, um, you know, wishing you the best with your, your program, which is uh, Beyond Goals Mentoring. Um, if you're out there listening and wanting to, uh, to learn more about it, uh, we'll make sure we share um, some of the links in, in the post uh, after the podcast. So, Greg, yeah, thank you thank so you much. Thank you
0: so much for coming on. We awesome. really appreciate it.
2: No, thank you guys. It's always a pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we could probably talk soccer all day, man. Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Maybe we'll have you back.
2: Sounds good. It would be an honor. Okay. All right, Greg, take care, man. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye.
1: All right. That was Greg Garza. That was awesome. Um, Really. Yeah. Fantastic
0: of him to share that time with us. and really Really insightful comments. What did you take from it?
1: Um, you know, I was was definitely interested to hear kind of where you were digging with the philosophy of the 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 fullbacks, and and obviously he got to um, an interesting point, which I, I don't know that I was expecting him to say, which was Tata's philosophy was a little lunatic to actually push both up, but I'm sure there's layers to it that you know that Greg sure. Greg could get into more, right? That there has to be some practicality of not doing that all the time and and having one of them play back or having a system where your defense um, is not too vulnerable all the The time. The
0: interesting thing to me is that, you know, when he was talking about it, I almost maybe expected uh, him to talk about, you know, that Tata was trying to overload, get a two V one on those sides or whatever. And that it wasn't as madness as lunatic as that, but it's interesting to hear him talk about that. And so, you know, if it's, bielsa you know lunatic down the side right um which at times it clearly was i mean garza would end up sometimes on the end line and there were times where we had a cross from one of our outside backs and the other outside back was in the box to try to to try to finish but the interesting thing to me is i watched those games very very carefully and they didn't seem to be so static and so committed. And it almost suggests to me that, you know, maybe Pineda's system isn't as much, but the players themselves is trusting more. And we've talked about it some, that that Gutman, for example, seems to have a better balance to it, right? right. He seems to be back when he needs right. to be.
1: It's that 50, we were saying the 50-50 philosophy. It seems like Gutman gets that and knows how, to, knows how to take on that responsibility himself right. on... To, to Greg's point, that self-awareness that you have to have, your, your hips need to move. Like, you see that from Gutman, which uh, whew, we need that from And, you know, interesting,
0: Gutman and, and Garza both come to that role as a defender, right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, Brooks Lennon comes to that role really as a winger, Right? right. And so Brooks maybe sees it more as, you know, attack first yeah. and this defense secondary responsibility. And maybe that's contributing to yeah. to the overbalance
1: of it. Whenever I think of Brooks Lennon defending, I always picture him running backwards towards someone, not facing them. Right. Like, that's not <laughs> right. I, that's not a vision I have in my head. <laughs> right. You know? so. Right.
0: Um, And obviously, what he talked about, which we've said, you know, uh, Carlos Carmona, uh, Remedy, you know, those guys have been extraordinary. But the one thing I will say that I maybe disagree with him is I feel like Sosa is every bit as good as Remedy. Carlos Carmona, people don't remember because he was only here one year, but he was class player. We've talked about it on the podcast that it when he moved on people were like oh ho hum whatever i was worried as all heck yeah. because he was
1: phenomenal in that first yeah. year and in that championship was it is it Rem- remedy or remedy yeah. um yeah he was he was he knew his role and he by doing his role he he gave darlington nagby really that freedom in front yeah
0: we talked about to, how in the mls cup final we started with Remedy lorenowitz behind and actually we've talked about it that maybe one of the differences is you could afford to do that and you want to do that more when you know you 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 don't have that you know you have the defensive guys in the midfielder who are so strong right whereas the team that we have where the midfield is much more dynamic it's really only sosa as maybe the true defending in it maybe we don't
1: want to do that we've talked about that right And uh, it's interesting, during the Frank DeBoer era, right, I think he misused Remedy in the way that he was, like, having him, like, go stretch out. Initially, he had him really more box-to-box, and then we were really caught, right,
0: right, because he would
1: end up sometimes
0: in the front 18, and we had nobody breaking up those counterattacks. And I guess, you know, one of the things, I mean, we talked about it, right, in that MLS Cup final. What was the difference between Pineda's team and 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 the MLS Cup champions? Is the outside backs were very similar, but that MLS Cup champion team had three center midfielders who all sat in the midfield. We talked about that as being the huge difference, yep. right? And so, you know, that sounds to me like that's exactly his explanation was the reason why we could do it is because we had those three guys and they were covering it. And I would argue the U.S. national team looked to me a very similar thing, right, in that, you know, Musa and Adams and McKinney were
1: covering in a yeah. ton, right? So the other cool thing, Dave, is that you threw the curveball to Garza that there's the League's Cup. Right. You didn't know about it. Didn't know about it. Nobody no, knows about oh, it. Nobody <laughs> knows. And, no one knows. And and to Greg's point, like, yeah, the, the Hispanic population in the U.S. that are going to fill the stadiums to cheer for their, uh, you know, of america whoever it is i mean i think that these games are going to be a lot of fun
0: it's going to be amazing atlas and, i think we're the Monterey first podcast and... to really
1: call this out that this i mean
0: i'm hyped for it I you am know too. and actually it's interesting to me that you know maybe mls is waiting for the world cup to be over and the new season to be ramping up before they start really you know, publicizing it. But I'm. There there is a little bit of part of me that the MLS isn't announcing it or publicizing it more. But yeah. maybe they don't
1: need to. Maybe the
0: moment it happens and we go into the season, it's going to blow up so big that yeah. it doesn't matter.
1: Um, another big thing that's happening in terms of tournaments is the Copa America. It, it looks like some CONCACAF teams might be joining that in 2024 if I'm not mistaken yeah they've been
0: doing that quite regularly for now for a little while which is inviting CONCACAF teams to play in the South Ooh. American Championships um, and you know I think that's awesome I would like to see it a little bit more defined right not oh we're going to extend an invitation to oh, I think it should whatever. be. they
1: should lock it in Yeah, and it should just be the America. get rid of the gold cup sorry right. don't need it right. <laughs> sorry other teams like there's like, right. a way you qualify into the the America's Cup All right just like you have the euros, it's hard to make. You know, there's there's a line that has to be drawn, and you don't make it if you're uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Sorry, you're not in the Americas <laughs> Cup. So, to be honest, with the progression
0: of U.S., really Mexico has been good the whole time, but progression of the U.S. and now maybe Canada, yeah. right? Um, the South American Championships has maybe been lacking you know having a couple extra teams that's why the european championships gets treated even in the us almost like a world cup yeah. and the south american championships has been sort of the little bit of the ugly steps. is so they're the just waiting four. for brazil and argentina to play in the final yeah. even though obviously some of those other sides are amazing but if we were to continuously join that and if we were to be a qualifying it's to get the only into way that, we're
1: going to keep getting more serious i like, it. Serious I like games. that a lot yeah so, so i
0: would like to see it more defined right now it's yeah. been sort of by invitation
1: yeah, so last thing, I'll throw the same question back to you, Dave. What, um, from the interview with Greg, was uh, insightful or maybe surprising to you?
0: What was surprising to me? Um, You know, I really uh, appreciated him talking about Tata and, you know, giving the people players personal responsibility. He said it not only with the attacking role, but he also talked about pinching in versus not, right? And he's saying you're ultimately responsible for that, um, whatever, I mean, we obviously were not in a locker room to hear what Pineda's talking about, but for whatever reason, whether we're a little bit younger and they're more listening and saying, oh, this is my role, this is what I want to be to do. It seemed like what he was saying, Tata trusted them more. There was a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, maybe Pineda's giving them the same and they're too young to be able to, to accomplish it. Um, right. Or maybe it's the wrong... Player, You know, maybe Brooks Lennon is the wrong player. I happen to think that there's another problem to it, which is what we just talked about. It's not the right formation when you have this team, when there's so much in Araujo and Moreno and Diego Amada and blah, blah, blah. You don't need it. Whereas that team that we talked about, everything was Almarone Martinez through the middle, and they needed that dynamic up front. Where was the extra guy coming from? Yeah.
1: Right. So to close it out, Dave, what do you think – we're going to see in these these coming months, this is going to be kind of the silly season for Atlanta United to drop so the news on So he's really versus.
0: convinced that Tiago Amado has gone. I was yes.
1: thinking that Tiago Amado is here another, for another year. That was another really good I little... I was
3: shocked at that. That scared me a little. I was like, no.
1: Well, no. I think that he's being realistic in the fact that uh, European clubs, I mean, take a Manchester United right now, Like they should be looking at a player like this and being... Being hungry to take a risk on him. I mean, with the...
0: I'm going to take the Garza bet and say that Almada's here for one more year.
1: Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, my prediction was he was gone in the summer transfer window.
0: Yeah, so I, I was going to say that one more year could be not a whole year, right? Because the European season is so offset, right? Like, I don't see him transferring. Obviously, the, the, the winter, you know, um, uh, the... Um, the winter interval in Europe is going to be open and closed very soon, right? So he would have to go very, very, very soon. If he stays beyond that, then, you know, you could play most of an MLS season. And to be honest, you could even see what I was thinking is, you know, he transfers to some club. They immediately loan him back to MLS so that he can stay here for a playoff or whatever. And as soon as they leave, as soon as we're eliminated from the playoffs um, or, or win the whole thing, so then, then he
1: goes. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Well, what about you, Mikey Dobbs? What was insightful? Like, what did you take
1: from? Yeah, career? no, I I think the, um, the whole thing about the fullbacks and and the the lunacy type of philosophy and and talking about Tata and the the free all those things were really awesome nuggets that you know you you may have known but just hearing it from him was was yeah. great firsthand perspective. So, was there any
0: surprises for you,
1: Carmen?
3: Uh the Almada thing took me by surprise, mm-hmm. but the part that I think when he was saying, you know um he's talking about tata he's like that's a grandfather and i was like you know what that's exactly it like no one is going to flip a table with aros compoyo in front of (laughs) your grandpa you know that's not going to happen There was a respect there that i don't think at least we know at least from one player is not there
0: currently
1: what what are you talking about We got to talk about it all, Dave. We got to talk about it all with Greg, which was a treat. Carmen, thank you for setting that up. Let's Um,
0: finish on our, uh, you know, going forward. We'll podcast as we maybe get through the semifinals or through the final. But what is your predictions for the World Cup?
1: My prediction is that France wins it at this point. Now, that's not what I want. (laughs) I really want Messi to take the World Cup. And uh, hold it up in the air. I would love that. So I, you I think, think it,
0: Argentina beats Croatia, and the favorites get through France and Argentina. I
1: do. I think those two make it through. Um, it's they're going to be very difficult games, just like they were. I mean, I think Croatia is 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 they they keep finding another mm-hmm. gear. I don't know that team's older, but they still keep surprising me. So, and Morocco seems to have that same attitude of not giving up. So I don't see them losing steam in the semis here. I, I I just don't. So these are going to be two very difficult teams for Argentina and France to win. So I think they're going to be goal differential differentials of like one nothing type of games, or they go to PK shootouts. Now, if they go to PK shootouts, then that's obviously advantage mm-hmm. Morocco and, and uh, Croatia. So, yeah, uh, I don't Croatia know. never loses a penalty. Gosh, pick. no, they, they do don't. Not. Carmen, do they you have don't.
3: any predictions? I agree with Mickey Dobbs. I think the favorites win uh in the semis, and then I, ugh. you know what? I'm going to say Argentina wins, beats France, has Messi mm. uh, go, go out on top. Yeah,
1: that'd be awesome. That like,
3: would be awesome.
1: It would <sighs> just it would just shut down all the arguments on who the best player in the world is, which we know is Messi. And I, I even argued with Dave a couple of years ago is the real Ronaldo was always my favorite best player in the world, <laughs> which I feel, th- I still think like even watching like he got injured early um, and, and then went to uh, Denny's for the rest of his life. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh. but, but before he really got chopped down, um, I mean the real Ronaldo RR nine uh, was way better than Cristiano Ronaldo. Come on.
0: I have to say for me, um, you know, I think if I had to be a betting man, I might probably pick Argentina to win it. But I don't think France and Argentina are both going to get through. I don't can't pick. A, yeah. I don't. I don't have the insight to say I, that Morocco is going to get through or Croatia is going to get through. But it just statistically speaking, the chances that them both. You know, I said this last time about I think all the favorites should get through, but statistically yeah. speaking, the chances is, I wouldn't, I
1: wouldn't dare bet on any of these games. Like this. Yeah. I don't yeah. have
0: a, I don't have a strong feeling about it. I mean, neither Argentina nor France are so superior that they're going to roll. And, and those are just plucky enough. So it, I think betting averages it's you know it's probably 60/40 in both games right yeah. so Argentina probably wins 6 out of 10 I think that France probably wins 6 out of 10 but you know there's two games right so 60% probability two games you know the yeah. chances of Some, an upset are pretty good to happen right yeah. so yeah, that yeah. that's the kind of the way I'm thinking about it
1: okay well I randomly have money on Morocco so go Morocco
0: <laughs> do we have any comments from the viewers I was
3: uh, let's see. Well, Elliot is here. Thank okay. you, Elliot. Uh, um, yeah, he's asking st- Is the League's Cup equivalent to Europa League a second tier competition for MLS? it's Oh, uh, I, I think Cup. definitely
0: not. I mean, Europa League is a second tier because there is this amongst the same exact set of teams, all the European teams, it's a the Champions League, yep. right? So, here amongst Liga MX and MLS teams, there's nothing better. I mean, uh, to be honest, I would say there's still going to be the CONCACAF Champions League, but I think that this is going to immediately usurp it, right? Because, yep. yeah, it's awesome to see the best of MLS. You know, Seattle won it last year for the first time, right? You know, that's yeah. going to be amazing. So this year it would be LAFC, you know, trying to, to, to do it. But, um, you know... I think the idea of every single
1: team is going to immediately trump that. Yeah, whatever. What do you think? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's either going to be this flop, which I can't imagine could happen, or it's bigger than the MLS Cup in terms of prestige. I think that's
0: the worry: is that it could be bigger than the MLS Cup. It could be so Mm -hmm. important that it could actually, you know, overshadow our own individual league a little bit.
1: It should because I mean, it does. I mean, it's more meaningful. How can it not be? I be? mean it's
0: certainly for if you're an MLS team, right? So you get two really awesome chances at winning something big for your supporters, right? So if you win the League's Cup, you know, which it's right now in the first iteration you'd say it's unlikely that an MLS team has win based solely upon what we've done in the CONCACAF Champions League, where mostly Liga MX teams have yeah. triumphed. But if you were to win that, or even maybe even if you're the last MLS team standing, your supporters are pretty happy. And that's in addition to another chance to win it with, with the, the league title. And to be honest with you, it creates what, what any European club supporter would have if you're a Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich fan. You have not only the league title, but then there's the Champions League. So there are times where your team is maybe finishing second or third in the league and you're like
1: Chelsea and you're like, oh, let's go win the Champions Champions League, maybe. So I think it could create that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where my thoughts were going there. But, yeah, I think, um, I think it's going to be big. I really do. I think, you know, to to even what Greg was saying, the it's so good for Liga MX as well, right? Like, I mean, all these fans that are even stateside are going to be in the stadiums. They're going to be tuning in. So this Apple TV deal, I think there's going to be some benefits there as well.
0: Yeah actually yep there any other questions
3: i think that was
0: it okay we're gonna do two things before we leave though we got to thank our sponsor wild heaven brewery you know yeah. we noticed we've got this amazing new logo mikey jobs
1: is holding two locations <laughs> two locations here in avondale states and in west end um dave emergency drinking beer and atl Easy Ale are some of our favorites but they've got some amazing beers that now you I noticed
0: in our logo, which is amazing that the sponsor logo, the wild heaven beer, that the glass always starts out empty. Mikey Douse, Does that have anything to do with you? <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other thing we should mention, of course, is we're headed to the United soccer coaches convention podcast row. We're very excited to that. We're hoping to get some really cool interviews. We just found out the NWSL draft is going to be yeah. there this year. so excited just about very exciting! Practice. The All Americans for College Soccer are going to be honored while we're there, so yeah. there are going to be a lot of cool people. and We're hoping to maybe fish some people into either a podcast yeah. or at least we're up
1: some... on the website, Dave. Yeah, with, check I it out. I think there's almost thirty other podcasters uh, on the website. So
0: United Soccer Coaches Convention. Yes. Google search
1: it. Very exciting. Well, folks, we have talked about it all talked and then about some. It all. And again, really thankful to Greg Garza for coming on. And Absolutely. thanks, to by Greg. the way, I don't think a lot of you guys are subscribed. If you're out there listening um, or found us on the YouTube, eighty uh, percent of y'all are not subscribed to the channel. So appreciate hit the it. button. Hit the button. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, and enjoy the World Cup semi.